Hello, baby. Want a kiss? Welcome to the Experimental Film Podcast with your host, Ken Hess. Teaching a parakeet to talk is fun, but the old method took too much time and patience. This record is specially designed to teach any healthy, normal parakeet to talk by using a scientific new method that is acknowledged to be far superior because a carefully trained voice, specially chosen for excellence in clarity and diction, repeats over and 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 over the same words, the same phrase, in a manner that most parakeets are most likely to imitate. Check experimentalfilm.info for information, interviews, and episodes. For the next few seconds, this record will be silent. This podcast is dedicated exclusively to experimental film and its makers. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 5 of the Experimental Film Podcast. Today's guest is photographer and filmmaker Mark Cartwright. Mark's films, A Machine for Boredom and Orbital Discourse, have been submitted to this year's Experimental Film Fest, of which I'm the director. If you've seen Teen Vogue, Bellow, L, Icon, Seventeen, and other high-end glamour magazines, you've probably seen Mark's photography work. So, Mark, welcome to the Experimental Film Podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Gosh, Mark, where the hell do I even start with you? My gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've looked at your your photography sites. I've looked at your uh, online portfolios and stuff, and oh my God, um, to the audience, Mark Cartwright is not just a filmmaker and an amateur photographer. This guy is a pro, and he has photographed some of, I mean, the most beautiful people I've ever seen. And I'm, <laughs> some you. some of that is your your technique. Um, I mean, it's incredible, especially uh, and you've photographed some of my favorite people, Sarah Hyland mm-hmm. for one. Oh yeah, she's great. Yeah, Dita Von Tees and yeah, very cool. Um, I can't think of some of the others right offhand, but um, anyway, some of my favorite people you've you've photographed and and um, you thank know, you. We'll get we'll get more into that and absolutely incredible. Uh, yeah, thank you. Yeah. So anyway, uh, why don't you start out by telling us a little bit about yourself and your work? Sure. So yeah, my name is Mark Cartwright. I'm from New York, but live in Los Angeles now. And yeah, I'm a film director and photographer and have been you know, doing it for a few years and I love it. Oh, that's very cool. So I, I saw in your bio that you actually grew up on the east end of Long Island. Tell me about yeah. that. I mean, it's like, yeah, so east of Long Island, I'm from a town called Riverhead which is sort of like the last exit on the Long Island Expressway. And, you know, growing up, it was like the most boring place in the world. But now that I'm older, it's like I want all the things that I had there. <laughs> you know, it's just very, it's like lots of beaches and farmland. And it's, it's really pretty out there. Yeah. Um, to me, that's one of the ultimate places to have grown up. I mean, my goodness. Absolutely. And it's it's funny that, you know, we don't, we never appreciate what we have when we're younger, you know, it's like we always want something else. And then you realize that, you know, it's, 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 it's those simple things that really mean the most, you know? So. Yeah. You know, the first time I went to New York city, which wasn't that long ago, actually, I thought, man, unfortunately growing, growing up in the South, you learn that New York, LA, which is where you are now, uh, right. You know, certain places are just the worst places in the world they could possibly be. Right, right. And when I went, I'm like, oh my God, I totally missed out. <laughs> you know, and now it's kind of too late 
for me. You know? Well, it's, I, it's never too late. You know, you can always, I think, you know, in life, like you sort of design your experience and, and things like that. Like, I mean, I know, like, I mean, I, I do in, on some levels, like, especially with, with, I love Los Angeles. Like I said, I love California because of business and stuff like that. Of course I feel, you know, I kind of need to stay where I am because of that. So, but there's lots of areas like, you know, that are a lot quieter that I would, I wouldn't mind, you know, either moving to or even having like a summer house once the, once the directing income reaches that level. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I want mine to reach that level as well. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, being an extremely successful photographer, you're probably pretty close to that house anyway, right? Yes, hopefully. That's what, <laughs> that's what I'm hoping. <laughs> yeah. So, um, how did you get into filmmaking? I'm assuming photography is, I mean, since it's your, job and your profession that filmmaking was kind of a a second thing to come along it is it's like well i've always loved filmmaking um i grew up um my my family always loved films my aunt would take me to the movie theater like anytime we hung out we would always go to the movies my grandparents were always really um you know just watching film and especially old films and i just i i fell in love with it then I, i i knew i wanted to be a part of it so I started out as an actor and that's kind of what brought me to Los Angeles is that I was doing commercials and, and some, you know, sort of light acting things. And then I just always really loved what was going on behind the scenes and the creatives and the producers and the directors. And at the time, um, you know, just, it's, you know, filmmaking was, was a lot more expensive than it is now and there wasn't the digital. So photography sort of gave me the opportunity to kind of make these split second um, films, you know, or, or just sort of tell a story, a visual story, just using, you know, just using film. And um, so I started there and then that's how uh, photography blew up. And then once digital came along, I started seeing that it was easier and easier to be able to start, you know, narratives or moving narratives and to work with actors on that front. Well, experimental film is a a bit of a different pace for a lot of people. I mean, it seems seems like a lot of people are either into experimental or they're not completely. Right. Um, So you first did narrative films. In fact, you have, I don't know, maybe a half dozen narrative films. Yeah. Um, What got you into experimental? I mean, it's like, I, I mean, I've always, I've always been interested in it. I didn't really, I, you know, I, I didn't understand it completely, but I, was writing sort of narrative pieces and I kept feeling stuck or like there'd be blocks and I wanted something that um, I wanted to free myself up a little bit. And so I, that's when I, I really looked at experimental films and I was just blown away by how you can really just express on the feeling and it doesn't have these rules and these boundaries that narrative does. And so, um, you know, I was looking at a lot of, I started reading up about just like, you know, the early, um, you know, 1900s and, and the sort of art movements then and avant-garde and stuff like that. And it just really drew me in. And I liked how, I liked the freedom of being able to express um, without the rules, you know? And so I just, um, yeah, so I, I just, it just sort of blossomed from there. Yeah, I totally get that. That's why it happens for a lot of people. It's, it's like um, a transitional thing. Right. You know, yeah, and, and you can use. I find that with that, it's like training myself to be free as a as a thinker and as a creator, and then I can use that in my narrative to make it more interesting and to sort of bring more of myself into into it. Yeah, I think that's right. I think a lot of um, filmmakers, 
I think if they would allow themselves to be somewhat more experimental, I think it would help their narrative filmmaking. Absolutely. So I have to take a little bit off book here. I got to say now I've, yes. I've seen your photograph and why are you not on the other end of the lens? <laughs> well, thank you very much. I think, <laughs> I think, I mean, like I said, I used to do, um, I used to do that, you know, I used to do like sort of the acting thing, but I really do enjoy the, you know, being in control, I guess, essentially, or like having the, um, you know, just sort of like the behind the scenes elements. I do. I, I like it a lot, you know, and you sort of get to say a little bit more of when you're working instead of waiting for someone else to sort of put you in that position. And yeah, but I mean, I guess if someone asked, I would still, I would do it. I would do a commercial. I would say nothing spoken as much. For, let's see, the two films that you have submitted to the Experimental Film Fest, yeah. um, Orbital Discourse. Now, yeah. it's a oh, I'm right under eight minutes long, and it's interesting because when I first saw it, you know, I don't know if filmmakers, I, I don't think I have been able to choose the, um, the, the frozen frame that kind of, you know, when you, when you have your film submitted to something it seems right. like the thumbnail or the frozen frame is always kind of randomly chosen but right. when i saw it i was a little put off at first because it looked like eyeballs <laughs> and i was like this is going to be gross you know <laughs> and it, it, it's not and i it took me just let me go through this part for you it took me about yeah. four minutes to figure out what was going on but after i did i thought Oh my God, this is brilliant. <laughs> Thank you. I do like that reaction just because it's like, you know, that's kind of how I think when, when anything's happening in the world, like kind of how we like look at things and it's like, what's, we're trying to piece it together and trying to make sense of, of what's in front of us. So it's like, I do like that. Yeah, it's very clever. I, I really appreciated that because I thought for the first minute or so, I thought, you know, what, what am I looking at? <laughs> and, you know, then it develops. You know, it develops yeah. over time. It's a slow burn. Yes, and, yeah. You know, I was like, oh, this is this is really cool. Especially, like I said, after you know, after I saw what was going on, I was like, this this is really good. It's emotional, and it it mm. it actually conveys exactly what you're looking for in a very non-narrative way. So, I mean, it's right. to me, it's a it's a great film. I. Thank you. You know, I have to say I'm only one of four or I'm sorry, one of five judges in this thing. Mm -hmm. But right. I'm hoping everyone has the same reaction I do to it because I'd love to see this screened. Thank you. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. What I like a lot about it was that it goes from purely abstract mm -hmm. to literal and then back to abstract. Is that kind yeah. of by design? Yeah, because I mean, I think that, you know, with I mean, because I guess when it was created, I was looking at a lot of the you know, just sort of this social unrest and just things that were happening in the world that kind of, I think that people, you can't quite put your finger on it necessarily. And then it, and, you know, a lot of people just misunderstand why people are arguing or maybe they don't get people's points of view. And then it's like, I think at the height of like the argument, it kind of becomes very clear. But then, um, like you see with a lot of, especially in the United States, I think when, when after people are done at the, with the protests and the riots and things like that, like, it's sort of like a where do we go now, you know, kind of thing, kind of feeling. And it's like sometimes things are resolved, sometimes they're not. But I've noticed even like with like, you know, the whole gun control thing, for instance, I think 
you know, when there's a big event, it happens. It seems obvious, like where people's positions are. But then once it's done and some times have gone on, there's a new news cycle. It just sort of all disperses and becomes this sort of where are we like kind of, you know, where, where are we going with this, you know, again? So that is that kind of like mountain of, of emotion kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it depicts it perfectly. And I'm like I said, I'm I'm happy with the movie. I really like it. There's a, a lot of experimental movies or, or experimental films. They, you know, they're not I don't know how to explain this. It, it mm. seems like and as I explained in the first film festival last year mm. that we did, I said, you know, experimental film can go all the way from near narrative to absolutely abstract everything right. in, everything in between in fact some of them may not even have a point right but i think this one has a point and i i would love for as many people who can to see it thank you yeah that'd be great so what were your inspirations for this you said the social unrest but did you have an inspiration for the visuals yeah like well i was it was funny i was i was um listening to the news and while i was making breakfast and um there were two people in the news that were just having a discussion and it was slowly building into an argument and um, the two people kind of weren't listening to each other and they were just making points, but none of them were being heard. And then as the, the discussion was getting more tense, I was boiling a pot of water, which kind of started, um, it kind of, you know, started boiling up and it was kind of mirroring this conversation. And then I just sort of found these, like the, the, the bubbling and all that. I just thought it was very mesmerizing and very pretty. And like, I was like, this would be a really interesting um, just like, I don't know, just like a, a piece or, or, or a narrative piece, or, you know, sort of experimental piece. And I just tried it out. And then I just showed a couple of people and they were like, at first, because when I say it's like, you know, because it's, it's, it is a, it's a boiling pot of water. At first, when I see that people kind of laugh and then they watch it and they're like, oh, wow, I was not expecting it to actually have that effect on me. So I was happy about that. Um, but that was my inspiration, just kind of listening to the news. Yeah. Yeah, it was um, visually very impressive. Now it's just like the other one. It's in black and white. What made yeah. you choose black and white for it? I love, I mean, I love black and white. I think, um, I think it, it's, I don't know. There's a lot for me. There's a lot of just like emotion that it sort of takes away a lot of the information and just sort of lays things as they are. And I love playing with shadows and light and just, I mean, I've, I've, I've always just been a huge fan of black and white, you know, and I know a lot of people don't make film nowadays. Everything is about color um, but there's just something about just, I don't know, just something about black and white that, I, that really inspires me. Yeah. I'm the same way. I love black and white it kind of irritates my wife. Cause she, you know, she makes a joke about it. Now we, we say, Oh, you're filming this in artistic black and white. Are you? <laughs> so, but I know, right. I, I do wish people didn't see it that way because I think like, I don't know, there's, there's, there's an, it's, you know, there's an art in, in, you know, the black and white image, there's a, there's, it's, it has its own art, its own special place. And it's like, sometimes you don't want to tell a story with color. Sometimes you want to just play around with the, you know, like I said, with the shadows and the light and you want to just watch those relationships, you know, so. Very true. And this one really does that. And what, what I found so interesting between this and your other film mm-hmm. is that this one, uh, Orbital Discourse is like lower contrast, not exactly clear mm-hmm. and you know it's 
but it, it works because it, it forces you to focus on and concentrate on what's going on and then listening to what happens. Right. And much different is your other film, A Machine for Boredom, which is yeah. absolutely beautiful, crisp, high right. contrast, black and white. Yes. Meticulously shot. The details and your attention to the subtle nuances of, I don't know, culture and just the pristineness of everything in that film. Thank you. Um, I assume it was meant to be that way, right? Yeah, it's like, you know, there was, especially like between the, you know, part where the guy's just sort of living in this sort of very robotic, um, very, you know, bland world, like sort of planned out. And a lot of that was about, was my thoughts kind of like on like capitalism and how people sort of just live their lives and how they're sort of a slave to to money or just, or, or, you know, just kind of um, having this sort of, you know, perfect life based on products. And I mean, because I did, I studied, one of the things I studied like in college was like the relationship between media and society and, and how people interpret signs and symbols and what they find important and things like that. So some form of like sociology, but with a media um, focus. So it's like, you know, I wanted that, especially the beginning part, yeah, to have that sort of sterile feel, then it gets a little bit more gritty and shadowy and, you know, and darker and the camera's a little bit more handheld versus being on um, sticks. So I wanted that sort of division. And I really wanted to play around using my photography, you know, I wanted to bring more of my photography experience um, into this versus just directing it, you know? Yeah. And it, it shows that, that, you know, about lighting and composition because it was just, you know, you go from, um, you know, with the balance of the guy originally, I mean, I don't want to spoil anything, but just yeah. to let, let people know about these visual elements and to know there's something really going on here and there's thought behind this but there's lots of balance and then later on there's less and less balance as you go right and i really appreciate that i like the the high shots you did and some of the low shots i mean it was just it was just visually stunning and so it you know i knew when i saw this i thought okay it's you know even if it were silent it's it's a great film <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but it's but it's really cool. I mean, visually very very stunning. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. I appreciate that. And what were your inspirations for the visuals in this one? For that one, it's like so. I guess you know, I, each morning I sort of go on a walk to clear my head. And those, um, I was on this walk like during the beginning of the pandemic, and actually it was toward maybe like a month into it, a month or two into it. And so you know, at the beginning, like everything you know, just sort of stopped and all the advertisements were sort of frozen in March of 2000, you know, everything was what happened in March before everything shut down. So it's like, I, first I was seeing this advertising that was sort of losing its relevance, but it was still there, very bold above the streets, you know. And then I was just thinking about how, you know, especially in Los Angeles, I think a lot of people sort of, you know, like a lot of their self-worth is, is, is baked into the things that they own and their perception and how wealthy they look or how, you know, stable financially they look. And I was just wondering, like, what must it be like for all these people that now have to, like, you know, stay in their homes or they don't, they don't have these other, other things to, um, to tell them that they're, you know, good enough or important or whatever. And so, um, it just sort of, yeah, it's kind of developed from that and sort of like how, you know, people's self-perception 
and what that means in how in the products that we buy or if we're buying products and how you know how expensive everything is or where we work and things like that yeah i really like that it like i said it it really gets the message across both your films really get the message across and i think that shows that you know how to tell a story thank you you know even in a non-narrative you know uh, experimental way there's a there's still a story to be told in in some experimental films and i i really enjoy those yeah and i do i mean it's like i you, and i think like you're saying like both of these do have like still have like a even a smidge of narrative to it but it's like and i do want to try one that maybe doesn't i think on like one of my next ones i might just try you know something that's a little bit more even go deeper into just the emotion part of it versus trying to think of what i'm trying to um you know, instead of trying to be, oh, I need to have, so, you know, it needs to, to mean something specific. And because a lot of, you know, our thoughts and everything, we, we don't, our thoughts don't always have a beginning, a middle and an end. Sometimes we'll just think of something and it's just kind of abstract. And, and, and when you try to like focus on it, you're like, well, what, what does that even mean? I know what it feels like, but I don't, I don't know that it has like boundaries, you know? True. Yeah. I think the whole beginning, middle and end thing that has always bothered me because to yeah. me, Stories that I tell don't even have that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, I know. <laughs> so I like, I like um, non-narrative, you know, uh, orbital discourse. I would say that you got a message across without a narrative. And I, I really, like I said, I, I like that. I, I'm impressed by, um, I just love experimental film anyway, but to me, when there's something really good aesthetically about something i i enjoyed even more oh thank you yeah so are your other films experimental or are they purely narrative so the other ones are definitely purely narrative um the latest one that i have it's on uh it's called we die alone it's on amazon prime it's more of a psychological thriller um and i mean i, I love psychological thrillers i love sort of looking at and dissecting the things that people sort of, you know, the, just due to themselves and due to other people and just kind of how we, you know, like I said, interpret the world. Um, so yeah, so those are more, those are more narrative ones though, the ones I do. You're listening to the Experimental Film Podcast with Ken Hess. And now back to the show. You know, I think I've actually seen We Die Alone listed in Amazon Prime. Oh, nice. Well, you have to click on it and watch it. (laughs) Don't worry, I will. You'll get, you know, 18 cents from my view or whatever. (laughs) Whatever they pay you, it's, it's, um, you know, it used to be good, really good. I know, yeah, it's gotten a lot. It's, they've definitely dwindled it down. (laughs) Just like YouTubers. I mean, those guys used to make some bank, but now it's not that great. But yeah, it's still, you know, they, you know, all these uh, video on demand things, they charge you a lot of money to get on. And then, you know, when you see your, your check, you got like, how much is, how much is each view of this? It's like 18 cents. Really? (laughs) But anyway, no, it's, it's better than that. I'm making fun of it, but I mean, seriously though, I'm, I'm definitely going to watch it now that I know it's there. Thank you. Yes. It's a short film. It's only 24 minutes. Yeah. Very cool. I watch a lot of criterion channel and, uh, I don't know if you've ever watched that or anything. It's it's a lot of avant-garde type films there too. Right, right, right. One of the things I want to talk about mm-hmm. is your photography. Now, yeah. I know this is an experimental film and this is an experimental film podcast, but yeah. if if everyone will just kind of buckle in and, and wait for me to get there, this is important. 
because right. your photography, a lot of your photography is what I would consider to be experimental. Oh, cool. And I mean, you have, I can't think of her name. Is it Ariana Grande? Yeah. yeah She's on a tricycle. Right. So, I mean, that's, that's not a normal photographic pose. You think of, you know, someone posing. I mean, this is kind of a playful thing to me. That's more experimental than, you know, just having someone sitting in a chair looking. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, one of the things I'm most impressed with is uh, the way you photographed. And I keep going back to her, Sarah Highland. Mm -hmm. She has a heart shaped face. Yeah. And that's probably the most difficult face shape to photograph well right, right. because of the lighting. You have to really know lighting and you really have to know composition to get someone's face just right. Cause if right. you don't, you can really make them look alien and odd. Right. 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 So where did you learn photography, especially, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at some of your shots here and yeah. no, no two look the same. Um, I mean, where did you, where did you learn posing and composition? Yeah. Well, it's like, I've, I mean, I've always definitely by looking and, and watching um, other photographers, like, or just sort of seeing shots that really inspired me and that I would just sort of play around until I, you know, could either, until I understood how they were lighting something or I just like, you know, you kind of go with what, a lot of it too is like what, what feels right, you know, like I'll, I'll look at something and I'll be like, no, something feels off and it needs more light here. But um yeah, a lot of it is 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 was just yeah experimentation and seeing what you know what does and doesn't work and um, you know there's blogs and things like that that were especially back in you know back when blogs were starting and stuff like that where they would talk about lighting technique and and things like that um, you know yeah and so it's like and also you know um, any if I did have any mentors or people or working with like you know modeling agents and that have been you know sort of just seeing how they like people to um, be photographed and and then you also get as you're like you were saying like with a more triangle you know face or just different face shapes you get how you know yeah you can either you know make someone look like an alien or like if you just you know lower the camera a little bit and just sort of balance it up that you can make them you know you can sort of accent other features and it's just I mean I think it's all amazing it's just like an amazing science and and I love experimenting with it you know well, I had a friend who was a photographer and filmmaker. He used to tell me that photographers have to think in four dimensions, mm -hmm. you know, because you've got, you know, you've got the three-dimensional person, but you also have to think of light like it's a fourth dimension. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I really, uh, I'm looking right now at this Lou Diamond Phillips uh, portrait you did where he's sitting cool. on a windowsill. Yes. And the light is flooding around him and what that's really cool. But, you know, to, to pull that off, you have to really know about lighting because you can make some very unflattering shadows on people's faces from something like this. Absolutely. Yes. So anyway, I really, I really like that. I like the um, casual kind of cast that he has on this too. Yeah. And he is, I mean, honestly, he was probably one of my favorite people to photograph because he just like every single shot of him was like, he just he would go through emotions and just every shot was it was usable. I was like, how are you doing this? Like you really get some people are so professional and you get why they're you know why they've worked for years and why they're doing what they do. And also when you have that kind of connection with it, it's like it's almost like the light like understands that you have this connection with a person and will play along with you. It's like it's this really strange thing. As where like when you're not connected to someone, it's like 
even if you're doing what normally works, sometimes it's like, it's just, no, but something feels off, you know? So it's like, yeah, I was, I was, I was happy with that, with that shoot, mostly because yeah, of the, the connection with him. Yeah, that's very cool. So in your two films that you submitted, these, these two experimental films, one mm-hmm. has, uh, it's purely abstract, no characters. And the other one um, has a, a character in it. So yeah, let me ask this from being uh, a photographer who works almost exclusively, exclusively with people, I guess. Right. Um, how did you like directing a film with a person in it? Yeah. I mean, I, I love directing. I like working with actors. I, I really enjoy it. So, I mean, I just, it's, it's amazing just sort of taking a living, breathing human <laughs> and, and make the, you know, and sort of molding them into, into, into sort of this story that you have in your head and sort of like, and then also just sort of watch, it's kind of a study. It's a, it's, it's you're studying humans and giving them like situations and seeing what they do with it. And I mean, I, I love, I love working with actors. Now, um, on your, you've got multiple uh, websites here. One of them is markcartwrightheadshots.com. Yes. Where you actually give people some tips about headshots. Do you also, right. you say you like working with actors. Do you ever, uh, you know, like this person you had in your film, mm-hmm. did you give him tips about how to turn his face? I mean, how, how, how minute did you get your direction? I like, I mean, I think when I'm doing a film and when I'm taking photos, I do, like, I'll, I'll, I like to watch and see what a person does first, you know, because I think those, I think when, you, when you're watching natural, the natural, how someone sort of interprets something naturally, some amazing things can happen that you weren't even thinking of. So even when I'm doing photos, like, of course, like, you know, if someone's sitting in a position and, you know, giving themselves a double chin or, you know, they're, they're making their forehead look better, big or something like that, I'll give them an adjustment. But I don't like to pose too much. And I don't like people because I find it takes away from some of the, of the, the naturalness and, and sort of the organic um, things that can happen. And, you know, I mean, I'm sure lots of, you know, directors or filmmakers too will tell you, it's like, Sometimes the most brilliant stuff is the things you weren't, the, the things that you weren't planning on. Um, so I think, you know, obviously I, I tend to be a very, like, I like structure, you know, but I, I think I, I like to prepare myself up to the point of like, where I'm like, I feel, you know, okay, I've got everything in case something goes wrong. I have a plan to like fix it or whatever. But then once I have that, I like to just sort of see what happens first. And then if something's not going or if the, if the person's having some issue or they don't know what to do, then I'll go in with instruction and then kind of like, you know, sort of set them up a little bit and then see where they go again. And when you direct a person in one of your films, whether it's this experimental film or one of your narratives, how much control do you take of the way the person looks like? Do you do you. Uh, determine how their hair looks and makeup and, and clothes and so on? Yeah, like, well, usually, especially with photography, if I'm shooting, especially when you're shooting, if you're doing publicity shots for an actor or something like that, like, I definitely have a conversation a bit with them about what they want to come across as or how they're portraying themselves or how they're, you know, what is what do they want this to mean, you know, this shot to mean for them and what, and I try to get to understand who they are as a person. And then, um, yeah, then I sort of, you know, when I hire, you know, my, my makeup or stylist or whatever, of course, like I, I do, I'm, I'm hiring someone for a reason because I trust and, and like what their aesthetic is, but then I'll definitely have those conversations and make sure I'm steering, you know, just to make sure things stay on track. Um, 
but again, like I like, I like control, but I also don't want to have so much control that I, that I, I sort of stunt people's creativity. Do you watch a lot of experimental films? I do. It's like, well, I go, I think like, especially on like Vimeo, I go and I just look through, um, I'll like look at all the like sort of the festivals and sort of just look at who were there, who were there, you know, just some of the the, the people that were in the festival. And I definitely like I watch and and sort of look because also because because it's a very I'm new to you know to creating experimental films. So I, I definitely I just like to see like you know what what is what is it all about like you know and even though there's no rules, I just want to still have a have an idea just to see what what's out there you know. And like yeah, like I, I definitely, I'm I'm excited with these two films. Hope you know, if hopefully they're getting picked up, like you know, by by different festivals because I want to travel to them and see like um, just kind of like you know meet other experimental filmmakers and 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 that's one thing that I haven't you know, done as much as I'd like to. I want to meet the other filmmakers as well. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Festivals are are quite a bit of fun. I like going yeah. and seeing people, and I watch a lot of experimental film. I watch a lot of narrative film. And, you know, even though, like you say, there's no rules, it's like you almost sometimes, I don't know what it is. It's kind of like art. I do a lot of art and photography myself, but I'm, a, I'm an amateur. But I like to know sometimes that I have permission to do something. Right, right, right. So, you know, if I, you know, have an idea, I think, has anyone else done this before? What's it look like? You know, is, right. it, is it okay? <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I do believe in that thing too, is like, you know, in order to break the rules, you kind of have to know what they are first, you know? Right. So that's what I like. And I, you know, I think breaking the rules obviously is really fun, especially in art. I think that's how you grow and that's how you learn what works and doesn't. But it's like, you know, I do want to know, I do like to sort of understand what's there first. It's just so I can be like, okay, let me try something different. Right. Yeah, exactly. Everybody has inspirations. And I guess my next question for that is, which films and filmmakers inspire you? Right. Um, I, as I was saying, like, I love, like, psychological sort of, type, you know, thriller type stuff. So, I mean, I, Darren Aronofsky is probably one of my favorites. Um, Alfred Hitchcock, obviously, is a master of, of all of that. Um, uh, those, those two are probably the, the tops of my list when it comes to story. Um, you know, and then just, I mean, there's lots of, I mean, Kubrick, I love, cause I, I, I really love like, you know, all the Kubrick, the Kubrick things. And, um, you know, it's just, it's a lot of, I'd say like films versus like directors completely, you know, it's like just certain pieces will like inspire me. Um, I don't know, you know, sometimes I like a, a, a person's full work. Sometimes I don't, I could say I probably of all the Aronofsky films, I've liked every single one I've seen so far. And, Hitchcock is always a lesson. I'm constantly learning new things as I watch his his, his um, material. So, yeah, yeah. Hitchcock is a a great director. I don't think he was such a great guy or nice guy or something because I've heard right, stories. Yeah. But you know, his I know that's unfortunate. Yeah, that's totally. Yeah, his his directing is is incredible. He kind of had a, I think, a little bit of um, a thing for pretty young women. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, there was that um there was that film, I think it was it was Anthony Hopkins, I think, played him. I think Anthony Anthony Hopkins was playing um Alfred Hitchcock in this movie. But I think it was during the time that he was making The Birds. Oh yeah. You know, I think there's I forget I think the movie might have been called Hitchcock. Yeah, like if you have a different computer, like look it up there. But there was something, but it was it was good. It kind of talked about sort of chauvinistic sort of sides, you know, and stuff like that. Yeah, well, you know, when he was making films, just like, you know, I would say only up until the past 
10 years maybe, did people really take into account any diversity or any equality or any respect for actors, you know? Right. No, totally. Um, and still, I mean, we hear stories all the time, the Me Too movement and so on, where people, right. are, people are being exploited and it's just, it's horrible. And, yeah, you know, it was kind of the standard in some points in our history, which is really unfortunate. Yeah, no, I get it. Yeah. So if you can tell us, what are you working on now? So now I am developing a feature. Um, I'm trying, yeah, cause I, I, I've done shorts. So now I think it's time to, to do a feature. My, me and my producing partner are both actually my producing partner is Baker Chase Powell. He was the one that was in a machine for boredom. Um, we sort of write a lot together and then, or we'll, you know, we'll both write individually. And then once we come up with an idea, um, that one of us likes, and once one of us finishes, then we'll work on that. Um, my goal, like what I'm planning on doing is with this new feature, I'm going to write the feature, then make a short out of it so that I can sort of, or, you know, proof of concept. So I can just kind of shop that around and get people interested to hopefully give me money. <laughs> Very good. Well, you've got a good venue for it. I mean, you've got, you know, all these, um, actors and, and people who you take photographs of, you could always just say, Hey, I'm also a filmmaker. I'm sure they know. Right. Yeah. Now that's been actually a good, it's like one, you know, cause I mean, this business is completely about your relationships and, and building that. So one thing that photography has definitely done is just like, it's, it's gotten me just into doors and around people that I might not have normally had access to, you know? So I am grateful for that. Yeah. That's very cool. It's very, um, it's a very fortunate, very, uh, a good, good positioning, I must say. Right. Yeah. So um, do you get involved with any film groups or film meetups or other film-related activities out there where you are? Yeah, like I do, um, like I mean, definitely like on Facebook, like I'll, I'll, I'll become a part of a lot of the, the groups that are on there on Instagram, like I'll follow things. Um, I am a part of a, a group now that's writing sort of an anthology. Um, we're working on one just to sort of like, we all kind of write our stories and bring them together to try to fit into a, some sort of feature. And then also like by going, I love, like I said, I love film festivals. I, I meet a lot of people um, that will then, you know, will make like little Facebook groups or, or a lot of film festivals will have their, their groups. And so they sort of create communities like with, between like the alumni of the festival, which I love those because then you sort of, you know, you meet these amazing people and you can kind of keep in touch and, and, and talk about working together. Um, yeah, you know, and just, I'm always yeah looking for, things to listen to and watch and YouTube, you know, just sort of like, I think there's this new YouTube channel. Um, not you, he's not new, but like I knew to me, but I think it was called, I mean, yeah, what is it called? something with the camera playing writing with the camera, I think is the name of it that I've been, um, sort of watching the videos on my morning walks and stuff like that. And it's, it's interesting. Yeah. Very cool. I'm going to have to check that out. Yeah. I like it. It's like, they talk about, it's like really talking about directing and writing and, how to like, you know, dissecting scenes. And, and I would definitely, yeah, like check that out. I'll send you the link, um, you know, once we're done everything, just so you can see it. Oh yeah. Very cool. So I know you have at least three websites. Would you mind telling the audience what your websites are? And this will also be in the associated article that goes with your podcast, but um, just so they have those so they can check out your work. Sure. Well, there's my personal website, which highlights my film and photography, and that is markcartwright.com. Um, there's my production company, Glass Cabin Films, which is glasscabinfilms.com is that website. And then my headshot work um, is markcartwrightheadshots.com. 
and it's Mark with a C. Mark with a C, yes. Don't forget that. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, man, it was great having you on today. I'm I'm would love to have you back on sometime when you finish that feature, uh, or if you do more experimental films, uh, please yeah. come back on. I would love to. Thank you. Yeah, it's been great talking with you. And thank you for joining us for this fifth episode of season two of the Experimental Film Podcast. Our guest today was photographer and filmmaker Mark Cartwright. Please contact me if you'd like to schedule an interview, sponsor the podcast, or point me to some cool experimental films. And we'll see you next time. If you would like to sponsor a podcast or schedule an interview, send an email to ken at experimentalfilm.info. Thanks for listening to the Experimental Film Podcast with Ken Hess.